This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey. My name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. Podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading... I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Cassidy, Chad Bennett, Ashley Braun, Danielle Nicole, Susan Kreaski, Jesse Michener, Starla Alicia, Kay Grassop, and Ava McDiarmid. Thank you all so, so much for being a part of making the Sleepy Podcast. For anyone who doesn't know, these are brand new patrons of Sleepy on Patreon.com, and uh, they are directly part of making the show now. So if Sleepy 
has maybe helped you get a better night's rest and wake up more refreshed the next day, consider going to patreon.com slash sleepy radio and donating even a dollar a month. It goes a really long way. And there's really cool perks. If you're a $5 donator, like extra poetry readings and entrance into raffles or giveaway books that I read on the show. But regardless of how much you donate, I'll read your name and the opening credits of the next show after you do. So that's patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski and the cover up for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Tonight, I'm going to be replaying um, one of my personal favorite episodes that I've read on the show. It's uh, Walking by Henry David Thoreau. I just feel like uh, as we're rolling into the second year of Corona, um, it's been so important to find things that you can do in your daily life that will keep your brain occupied and your soul kind of centered and happy. And for me personally, even though it's been pretty cold up here in Vermont, getting outside and running and walking and just being in the woods and being fine doing that and nothing else without a phone, without worrying what I need to do next, just being, that's been really, really helpful for me and something that has made a huge difference in my life in the last few months. Well, Walking by Henry David Thoreau this is probably my favorite thing that I've read of his and it really does help you get centered and want to just go for a walk. So tonight, Walking by Henry David Thoreau. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. I wish to speak a word for nature, for absolute freedom and wildness as contrasted with a freedom and culture merely civil, to regard man as an inhabitant or a part and parcel of nature rather than a member of society. I wish to make an extreme statement. If so, I may make an emphatic one, for there are enough champions of civilization, the minister and the school committee, and every one of you will take care of that. I have met with but one or two persons in the course of my life who understood the art of walking, that is, of taking walks, who had a genius, so to speak, for sauntering, which word is beautifully derived from idle people who roved about the country in the Middle Ages and asked charity under pretense of going a la St. Terry, to the Holy Land, till the children exclaimed, There goes a St. Terror, a saunterer, 
a holy lander. They, who never go to the holy land in their walks, as they pretend are indeed mere idlers and vagabonds. But they who do go there are saunterers in the good sense, such as I mean. Some, however, would derive the word from sans terry, without land or a home, which, therefore, in good sense will mean having no particular home, but equally at home everywhere. For this is the secret of successful sauntering. He who sits still in a house all the time may be the greatest vagrant of all, but the saunterer, in the good sense, is no more vagrant than the meandering river, which is all the while sedulously seeking the shortest course to the sea. But I prefer the first, which indeed is the most probable derivation. For every walk is a sort of crusade, preached by some Peter the Hermit in us, to go forth and reconquer this holy land from the hands of the infidels. It is true, we are but faint-hearted crusaders, even the walkers nowadays who undertake no persevering, never-ending enterprises. Our expeditions are but tours and come round again at evening to the old hearthside from which we set out. Half the walk is but retracing our steps. We should go forth on the shortest walk perchance in the spirit of undying adventure, never to return, prepared to send back our embalmed hearts only as relics to our desolate kingdoms. If you are ready to leave father and mother and brother and sister and wife and child and friends and never see them again, if you have paid your debts and made your will and settled all your affairs and are a free man, then you are ready for a walk. To come down to my own experience, my companion and I, for I sometimes have a companion, take pleasure in fancying ourselves kings of a new or rather an old order, not equestrians or chevaliers, not ridders or riders, but walkers, a still more ancient and honorable class, I trust. The chivalric and heroic spirit which once belonged to the rider seems now to reside in or perchance to have subsided into the walker, not the knight, but walker errant. He is a sort of fourth estate, outside of church and state and people. We have felt that we almost alone hereabouts practice this noble art, though, to tell the truth at least, if their own assertions are to be received, most of my townsmen would fain walk sometimes, as I do, but they cannot. No wealth can buy the requisite leisure, freedom, and independence which are the capital in this profession. It comes only by the grace of God. It requires a direct dispensation from heaven to become a walker. You must be born 
into the family of the walker. Ambulator, nascator, non-feet. Some of my townsmen, it is true, can remember and have described to me some walks which they took ten years ago, in which they were so blessed as to lose themselves for half an hour in the woods. But I know well that they have confined themselves to the highway ever since, whatever pretensions they may make to belong to this select class. No doubt they were elevated for a moment, as by the reminiscence of a previous state of existence, when even they were foresters and outlaws. When he came to the green woad in a merry mornage, there he heard the note small of birds' merry singe. It is very gone, said Robin, that I was last here. My list a little for to show at the dawn dare. I think that I cannot preserve my health and spirits unless I spend four hours a day at least, and it is commonly more than that, sauntering through the woods and over the hills and fields, absolutely free from all worldly engagements. You may safely say, a penny for your thoughts or a thousand pounds, when sometimes I am reminded that the mechanics and shopkeepers stay in their shops not only all the forenoon, but all the afternoon too, sitting with crossed legs, so many of them, as if the legs were made to sit upon and not to stand or walk upon. I think that they deserve some credit for not having all committed suicide long ago. I, who cannot stay in my chamber for a single day without acquiring some rust, and when sometimes I have stolen forth for a walk at the eleventh hour of four o'clock in the afternoon, too late to redeem the day, when the shades of night were already beginning to be mingled with the daylight, have felt as if I had committed some sin to be atoned for. I confess that I am astonished at the power of endurance, to say nothing of moral insensibility of my neighbors who confine themselves to shops and offices the whole day for weeks and months, I and years almost together. I know not what manner of stuff they are of, sitting there now at three o'clock in the afternoon as if it were three o'clock in the morning. Bonaparte may talk of the three o'clock in the morning courage, but it is nothing to the courage which can sit down cheerfully at this hour in the afternoon over against oneself, whom you have known all the morning, to starve out a garrison to whom you are bound by such strong ties of sympathy. I wonder what about this time, or say between four or five o'clock in the afternoon, too late for the morning papers and too early for the evening ones. There is not a general explosion heard up and down the street, scattering a legion of antiquated and house-bred notions and whims to the four winds for an airing, and so the evil cure itself. 
how womankind, who are confined to the house still more than men, stand it, I do not know. But I have ground to respect that most of them do not stand it at all. When, early in a summer afternoon, we have been shaking the dust of the village from the skirts of our garments, making haste past those houses with purely Doric or Gothic fronts, which have such an air of repose about them. My companion whispers that probably about these times their occupants are all gone to bed. Then it is that I appreciate the beauty and the glory of architecture, which itself never turns in, but forever stands out and erect, keeping watch over the slumberers. No doubt temperament, and above all age, have a good deal to do with it. As a man grows older, his ability to sit still and follow indoor occupations increases. He grows vespertinal in his habits as the evening of life approaches, till at last he comes forth only just before sundown and gets all the walk that he requires in half an hour. but the walking of which I speak has nothing in it akin to taking exercise, as it is called, as the sick take medicine at stated hours, as the swinging of dumbbells or chairs, but is itself the enterprise and adventure of the day. If you would get exercise, go in search of the springs of life, Think of a man swinging dumbbells for his health when those springs are bubbling up in far-off pastures unsought by him. Moreover, you must walk like a camel, which is said to be the only beast which ruminates when walking. When a traveler asked Wordsworth's servant to show him her master's study, she answered, here is his library, but his study is out of doors. Living much out of doors, in the sun and wind, will no doubt produce a certain roughness of character, will cause a thicker cuticle to grow over some of the finer qualities of our nature, as on the face and hands, or as severe manual labor robs the hands of some delicacy of touch. So staying in the house, on the other hand, may produce a softness and smoothness, not to say a thinness of skin, accompanied by an increased sensibility to certain impressions. Perhaps we should be more susceptible to some influences important to our intellectual and moral growth. If the sun had shone and the wind blown in us a little less, and no doubt, it is a nicer matter to proportion rightly the thick and thin skin. But methinks that it is a scurf that will fall off fast enough, that the natural remedy is to be found in the proportion which the night bears to the day, the winter to the summer, thought to experience. There will be so much the more air 
and sunshine in our thoughts. The callous palms of the laborer are conservant with finer tissues of self-respect and heroism, whose touch thrills the heart than the languid fingers of idleness. That is mere sentimentality that lies abed by day and thinks itself white, far from the tan and callous of experience. When we walk, we naturally go to the fields and woods. What would become of us if we walked only in a garden or a mall? Even some sects of philosophers have felt the necessity of importing the woods to themselves since they did not go to the woods. They planted groves and walks of plantains where they took subdiles, abulations, and porticos open to the air. Of course, it is of no use to direct our steps to the woods if they do not carry us thither. I am alarmed when it happens that I have walked a mile in the woods bodily without getting there in spirit. In my afternoon walk, I would fain forget all my morning occupations and my obligations to society. But it sometimes happens that I cannot easily shake off the village. The thought of some work will run in my head, and I am not where my body is. I am out of my senses. In my walks I would fain return to my senses. What business have I in the woods if I am thinking of something out of the woods? I suspect myself and cannot help a shudder when I find myself so implicated, even in what are called good words, for this may sometimes happen. My vicinity affords many good walks, and though for so many years I have walked almost every day, and sometimes for several days altogether, I have not yet exhausted them. An absolutely new prospect is a great happiness, and I can still get this any afternoon. Two or three hours walking will carry me to as strange a country as I expect to ever see. A single farmhouse, which I had not seen before, is sometimes as good as the dominions of the king of Doamy. There is in fact a sort of harmony discoverable between the capabilities of the landscape within a circle of ten miles radius or the limits of an afternoon walk and the threescore years and ten of human life. It will never become quite familiar to you. Nowadays almost all man's improvements, so called as the building of houses, and the cutting down of the forest and of all large trees simply deform the landscape and make it more and more tame and cheap. A people who would begin by burning the fences and let the forest stand. I saw the fences half consumed, their ends lost in the middle of the prairie, and some worldly miser with a surveyor looking after his bound while heaven had taken place around him, 
and he did not see the angels going to and fro, but was looking for an old post hole in the midst of paradise. I looked again and saw him standing in the middle of a boggy, Stygian fen, surrounded by devils, and he had found his bound, without a doubt, three little stones where a stake had been driven, and looking near I saw that the Prince of Darkness was his surveyor. I can easily walk ten, fifteen, twenty, any number of miles, commencing at my own door without going by any house, without crossing a road, except where the fox and mink do. First along the river, and then the brook, and then the meadow and the woodside. There are square miles in my vicinity which have no inhabitant. From many a hill, I can see civilization and the abodes of man afar. The farmers and their works are scarcely more obvious than woodchucks in their burrows. Man and his affairs, church and state and school, trade and commerce, and manufacturers and agriculture, even in politics the most alarming of them of all, I am pleased to see how little space they occupy in the landscape. Politics is but a narrow field and that still narrower highway yonder leads to it. I sometimes direct a traveler thither. If you would go to the political world, follow the great road, follow that market man, keep his dust in your eyes, and it will lead you straight to it, for it too has its place merely and does not occupy all space. I pass from it as from a bean field into the forest, and it is forgotten. In one half hour, I can walk off to some portion of the earth's surface where a man does not stand from one year's end to another, and there, consequently, politics are not, for they are but as the cigar smoke of a man. The village is the place to which the roads tend, a sort of expansion of the highway as a lake of a river. It is the body of which roads are the arms and legs, a trivial or quadrivial place, and a thoroughfare and ordinary of travelers. The word is from the Latin villa, which together with via, away, or more anciently, Ved and Bella. Barrow derives from Bejo, to carry, because the villa is the place to and from which things are carried. They who got their living by teeming were said Vela term passer, hence to apparently the Latin word villas and our vile, also villain. This suggests what kind of degeneracy villagers are liable to. They are wayworn by the travel that goes by and over them without traveling themselves. Some do not walk at all, 
Others walk in the highways. A few walk across lots. Roads are made for horses and men of business. I do not travel in them much, comparatively, because I am not in a hurry to get to any tavern or grocery or livery stable or depot to which they lead. I am a good horse to travel, but not from choice a roadster. The landscape painter uses the figures of men to mark a road. He would not make that use of my figure. I walk out into nature, such as the old prophets and poets. Menu, Moses, Homer, Chaucer walked in. You may name it America, but it is not America. Neither Americus Vespucius, nor Columbus, nor the rest were the discoveries of it. There is a truer account of it in mythology than any history of America, so-called, that I have seen. However, there are very few old roads that may be trodden with profit, as if they lead somewhere now that they are nearly discontinued. There is the old Marlborough Road, which does not go to Marlborough now, methinks, unless that is Marlborough where it carries me. I am the bolder to speak of it here, because I presume that there are one or two such roads in every town. The old Marlborough Road, where they once dug for money, but never found any, where sometimes Marshall Miles singly files, and Elijah Wood I fear for no good. No other man save Alicia Dugan. O man of wild habits, partridges and rabbits, who hast no cares only to set snares, who livest all alone, close to home, and where life is sweetest, constantly eatest. When the spring stirs my blood with the instinct to travel, I can get enough gravel on the old Marlboro Road. Nobody repairs it, for nobody wears it. It is a living way, as the Christians say. Not many there be who enter therein, only the guests of the Irishman Quinn. What is it, what is it, but a direction out there and the bare possibility of going somewhere. Great guideboards of stone, but travelers none. Cenotaphs of the town, named on their crowns. It is worth going to see, or you might be. What king did the thing, I am still wondering. Set up how or when, by what selectmen. Gorgas or Lee, Clark or Darby. They're a great endeavor to be something forever. Blank tablets of stone where a traveler might groan. And in one sentence, grave all that is known, which another might read in his extreme need. I know one or two 
lines that would do, literature that might stand all over the land, which a man could remember till next December and read again in the spring after the thawing. If with fancy unfurled you leave your abode, you may go round the world by the old Marlborough Road. At present, in this vicinity, the best part of the land is not private property. The landscape does not own, and the walker enjoys comparative freedom. But possibly the day will come when it will be partitioned off into so-called pleasure grounds, in which a few will take a narrow and exclusive pleasure only. When fences shall be multiplied, and man traps and other engines invented to confine men to the public road, and walking over the surface of God's earth shall be construed to mean trespassing on some gentleman's grounds. To enjoy a thing exclusively is commonly to exclude yourself from the true enjoyment of it. Let us improve our opportunities then, before the evil day has come. I wish to speak a word for nature, for absolute freedom and wildness as contrasted with a freedom and culture merely civil, to regard man as an inhabitant or a part and parcel of nature rather than a member of society. I wish to make an extreme statement. If so, I may make an emphatic one, for there are enough champions of civilization, the minister and the school committee, and every one of you will take care of that. I have met with but one or two persons in the course of my life who understood the art of walking, that is, of taking walks, who had a genius, so to speak, for sauntering, which word is beautifully derived from idle people who roved about the country in the Middle Ages and ask charity under pretense of going a la St. Terry to the Holy Land, till the children exclaimed, There goes a St. Terror, a saunterer, a Holy Lander. They, who never go to the Holy Land in their walks, as they pretend are indeed mere idlers and vagabonds. But they who do go there are saunterers in the good sense, such as I mean. Some, however, would derive the word from sans terry, without land or a home, which, therefore, in good sense will mean having no particular home, but equally at home everywhere. For this is the secret of successful sauntering. He who sits still in a house all the time may be the greatest vagrant of all, but the saunterer, in the good sense, is no more vagrant than the meandering river, which is all the while sedulously seeking the shortest course to the sea. But I prefer the first, which, indeed, is the most probable derivation. For every walk is a sort of crusade, preached by some Peter the Hermit in us, to go forth 
and reconquer this holy land from the hands of the infidels. It is true, we are but faint-hearted crusaders, even the walkers nowadays who undertake no persevering, never-ending enterprises. Our expeditions are but tours and come round again at evening to the old hearthside from which we set out. Half the walk is but retracing our steps. We should go forth on the shortest walk perchance in the spirit of undying adventure, never to return, prepared to send back our embalmed hearts only as relics to our desolate kingdoms. If you are ready to leave father and mother and brother and sister and wife and child and friends and never see them again, if you have paid your debts and made your will and settled all your affairs and are a free man, then you are ready for a walk. To come down to my own experience, my companion and I, for I sometimes have a companion, take pleasure in fancying ourselves kings of a new, or rather an old order, not equestrians or chevaliers, not ridders or riders, but walkers, a still more ancient and honorable class, I trust. The chivalric and heroic spirit, which once belonged to the rider, seems now to reside in, or perchance to have subsided into, the walker, not the knight, but walker errant. He is a sort of fourth estate, outside of church and state and people. We have felt that we almost alone hereabouts practice this noble art. Though, to tell the truth at least, if their own assertions are to be received, most of my townsmen would fain walk sometimes, as I do, but they cannot. No wealth can buy the requisite leisure, freedom, and independence which are the capital in this profession. It comes only by the grace of God. It requires a direct dispensation from heaven to become a walker. You must be born into the family of the walker. Ambulator, nascator, non-feet. Some of my townsmen, it is true, can remember and have described to me some walks which they took ten years ago, in which they were so blessed as to lose themselves for half an hour in the woods. But I know well that they have confined themselves to the highway ever since, whatever pretensions they may make to belong to this select class. No doubt they were elevated for a moment, as by the reminiscence of a previous state of existence, when even they were foresters and outlaws. When he came to the green woad in a merry morning, there he heard the notes small of birds' merry singing. It is very gone, said Robin, that I was last here. My list a little for to show at the dawn dare. 
I think that I cannot preserve my health and spirits unless I spend four hours a day at least, and it is commonly more than that, sauntering through the woods and over the hills and fields, absolutely free from all worldly engagements. You may safely say, a penny for your thoughts or a thousand pounds, when sometimes I am reminded that the mechanics and shopkeepers stay in their shops not only all the forenoon, but all the afternoon too, sitting with crossed legs, so many of them, as if the legs were made to sit upon and not to stand or walk upon. I think that they deserve some credit for not having all committed suicide long ago. I, who cannot stay in my chamber for a single day without acquiring some rust, and when sometimes I have stolen forth for a walk at the eleventh hour of four o'clock in the afternoon, too late to redeem the day, when the shades of night were already beginning to be mingled with the daylight, have felt as if I had committed some sin to be atoned for. I confess that I am astonished at the power of endurance, to say nothing of moral insensibility of my neighbors who confine themselves to shops and offices the whole day for weeks and months, aye, and years almost together. I know not what manner of stuff they are of, sitting there now at three o'clock in the afternoon as if it were three o'clock in the morning. Bonaparte may talk of the three o'clock in the morning courage, but it is nothing to the courage which can sit down cheerfully at this hour in the afternoon over against oneself, whom you have known all the morning, to starve out a garrison to whom you are bound by such strong ties of sympathy. I wonder what about this time, or say between four or five o'clock in the afternoon, too late for the morning papers and too early for the evening ones. There is not a general explosion heard up and down the street, scattering a legion of antiquated and house-bred notions and winds to the four winds for an airing, and so the evil cure itself. How womankind, who are confined to the house still more than men, stand it, I do not know but I have ground to respect that most of them do not stand it at all. When, early in a summer afternoon, we have been shaking the dust of the village from the skirts of our garments, making haste past those houses with purely Doric or Gothic fronts, which have such an air of repose about them, my companion whispers that probably about these times their occupants are all gone to bed. Then it is that I appreciate the beauty and the glory of architecture, which itself never turns in, but forever stands out and erect, keeping watch over the slumberers. No doubt temperament, and above all age, have a good deal to do with it. As a man grows older, his ability to sit still and follow indoor occupations increases. He grows vespertinal 
his habits as the evening of life approaches, till at last he comes forth only just before sundown and gets all the walk that he requires in half an hour. But the walking of which I speak has nothing in it akin to taking exercise, as it is called, as the sick take medicine at stated hours, as the swinging of dumbbells or chairs, but is itself the enterprise and adventure of the day. If you would get exercise, go in search of the springs of life. Think of a man swinging dumbbells for his health when those springs are bubbling up in far-off pastures unsought by him. Moreover, you must walk like a camel, which is said to be the only beast which ruminates when walking. When a traveler asked Wordsworth's servant to show him her master's study, she answered, here is his library, but his study is out of doors. Living much out of doors, in the sun and wind, will no doubt produce a certain roughness of character, will cause a thicker cuticle to grow over some of the finer qualities of our nature, as on the face and hands, or as severe manual labor robs the hands of some delicacy of touch. So staying in the house, on the other hand, may produce a softness and smoothness, not to say a thinness of skin, accompanied by an increased sensibility to certain impressions. Perhaps we should be more susceptible to some influences important to our intellectual and moral growth. If the sun had shone and the wind blown in us a little less, and no doubt it is a nicer matter to proportion rightly the thick and thin skin. But methinks that it is a scurf that will fall off fast enough, that the natural remedy is to be found in the proportion which the night bears to the day, the winter to the summer, thought to experience. There will be so much the more air and sunshine in our thoughts. The callous palms of the laborer are conservant with finer tissues of self-respect and heroism, whose touch thrills the heart than the languid fingers of idleness. That is mere sentimentality that lies abed by day and thinks itself white, far from the tan and callous of experience. When we walk, we naturally go to the fields and woods. What would become of us if we walked only in a garden or a mall? Even some sects of philosophers have felt the necessity of importing the woods to themselves since they did not go to the woods. They planted groves and walks of plantains where they took subdiles, abulationes, and porticos open to the air. Of course, it is of no use to direct our steps to the woods if they do not carry us thither. 
I am alarmed when it happens that I have walked a mile in the woods bodily without getting there in spirit. In my afternoon walk, I would fain forget all my morning occupations and my obligations to society. But it sometimes happens that I cannot easily shake off the village. The thought of some work will run in my head, and I am not where my body is. I am out of my senses. In my walks, I would fain return to my senses. What business have I in the woods if I am thinking of something out of the woods? I suspect myself and cannot help but shudder when I find myself so implicated, even in what are called good words, for this may sometimes happen. My vicinity affords many good walks, and though for so many years I have walked almost every day, and sometimes for several days altogether, I have not yet exhausted them. An absolutely new prospect is a great happiness, and I can still get this any afternoon. Two or three hours walking will carry me to as strange a country as I expect to ever see. A single farmhouse, which I had not seen before, is sometimes as good as the dominions of the king of Doamy. There is in fact a sort of harmony discoverable between the capabilities of the landscape within a circle of ten miles radius or the limits of an afternoon walk and the threescore years and ten of human life. It will never become quite familiar to you. Nowadays, almost all man's improvements, so-called as the building of houses and the cutting down of the forest and of all large trees, simply deform the landscape and make it more and more tame and cheap. A people who would begin by burning the fences and let the forest stand. I saw the fences half consumed, their ends lost in the middle of the prairie and some worldly miser with a surveyor looking after his bound, while heaven had taken place around him, and he did not see the angels going to and fro, but was looking for an old post hole in the midst of paradise. I looked again, and saw him standing in the middle of a boggy Stygian fen, surrounded by devils, and he had found his bound without a doubt, three little stones where a stake had been driven and looking near I saw that the prince of darkness was his surveyor. I can easily walk ten, fifteen, twenty, any number of miles commencing at my own door without going by any house without crossing a road except where the fox and mink do first along the river, and then the brook, and then the meadow and the woodside. There are square miles in my vicinity which have no inhabitant. From many a hill I can see civilization and the abodes of man afar. 
The farmers and their works are scarcely more obvious than woodchucks in their burrows. Man and his affairs, church and state and school, trade and commerce, and manufacturers and agriculture, even in politics the most alarming of them of all. I am pleased to see how little space they occupy in the landscape. Politics is but a narrow field, and that still narrower highway yonder leads to it. I sometimes direct the traveler thither. If you would go to the political world, follow the great road, follow that market man, keep his dust in your eyes, and it will lead you straight to it, for it too has its place merely and does not occupy all space. I pass from it as from a bean field into the forest, and it is forgotten. In one half hour, I can walk off to some portion of the earth's surface where a man does not stand from one year's end to another, and there, consequently, politics are not, for they are but as the cigar smoke of a man. The village is the place to which the roads tend, a sort of expansion of the highway as a lake of a river. It is the body of which roads are the arms and legs, a trivial or quadrivial place, and a thoroughfare and ordinary of travelers. The word is from the Latin villa, which together with via, away, or more anciently, ved and vela. Barrow derives from vejo, to carry, because the villa is the place to and from which things are carried. They who got their living by teeming were said in vela term, passer, hence to apparently the Latin word villas and our vile, also villain. This suggests what kind of degeneracy villagers are liable to. They are wayworn by the travel that goes by and over them without traveling themselves. Some do not walk at all. Others walk in the highways. A few walk across lots. Roads are made for horses and men of business. I do not travel in them much, comparatively, because I am not in a hurry to get to any tavern or grocery or livery stable or depot to which they lead. I am a good horse to travel, but not from choice a roadster. The landscape painter used the figures of men to mark a road. He would not make that use of my figure. I walk out into nature, such as the old prophets and poets. Menu, Moses, Homer, Chaucer walked in. You may name it America, but it is not America. Neither Americus Vespucius, nor Columbus, nor the rest were the discoveries of it. There is a truer account of it in mythology than any history of America, so-called, that I have seen. 
However, there are very few old roads that may be trodden with profit, as if they lead somewhere now that they are nearly discontinued. There is the old Marlborough Road, which does not go to Marlborough now, methinks, unless that is Marlborough where it carries me. I am the bolder to speak of it here, because I presume that there are one or two such roads in every town. The old Marlborough Road, where they once dug for money, but never found any. Where sometimes Marshall Miles, Singly Files, and Elijah Wood, I fear for no good. No other man save Alicia Dugan. O man of wild habits, partridges and rabbits, who hast no cares only to set snares, who livest all alone, close to home, and where life is sweetest, constantly eatest. When the spring stirs my blood with the instinct to travel, I can get enough gravel on the old Marlborough Road. Nobody repairs it, for nobody wears it. It is a living way, as the Christians say. Not many there be who enter therein, only the guests of the Irishman Quinn. What is it, what is it, but a direction out there and the bare possibility of going somewhere? Great guideboards of stone, but travelers none. Cenotaphs of the town, named on their crowns. It is worth going to see, or you might be. What king did the thing? I am still wondering. Set up how or when, by what selectman? Gorgas or Lee, Clark or Darby. They're a great endeavor to be something forever. Blank tablets of stone where a traveler might groan. And in one sentence grave all that is known which another might read in his extreme need. I know one or two lines that would do. Literature that might stand all over the land which a man could remember till next December and read again in the spring after the thawing. If with fancy unfurled you leave your abode you may go round the world by the old Marlborough Road. At present in this vicinity the best part of the land is not private property. The landscape does not own and the walker enjoys comparative freedom. But possibly the day will come when it will be partitioned off into so-called pleasure grounds, in which a few will take a narrow and exclusive pleasure only. When fences shall be multiplied, and man traps and other engines invented to confine men to the public road, and walking over the surface of God's earth, shall be construed to mean trespassing on some gentleman's grounds. 
To enjoy a thing exclusively is commonly to exclude yourself from the true enjoyment of it. Let us improve our opportunities then, before the evil day has come. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.